The ABC's Word Wizard, the Lord of Language. A word in your ear with Professor Raleigh Sussex. Is Russia displaying a military posture or readying its troops for an invasion? Will Russian soldiers in Ukraine actually be more like an incursion? Are we on the brink of conflict or about to go to war? Here's the NATO General Secretary, Jens Stoltenberg. For 40 years, NATO did in one way only one thing, but that was a big and important thing. We delivered credible deterrence in Europe. We deterred the Soviet Union. Credible deterrence. Deterring. What happens to the language when the politicians, the diplomats and the military start talking about combat or battle or fighting without talking about battle or combat or fighting? Yes, it's that time of the day. The ABC's word wizard, Rolly Sussex, OAM, Emeritus Professor from the School of Languages and Cultures at the University of Queensland, is here, willing and able to talk with you about words, language and linguistics. one 300 222612 is the number you can call to speak with Professor Rowley Sussex. That's 1300 222612. And Rowley, uh, what do you think? Will we see a Russian incursion into Ukraine or will there be an invasion? And is there any material difference between the two? I won't take a punt about whether it's going to happen or not, but the words are of great interest because an incursion is a, a, a sort of a, a, a breaking of a line somewhere and it's fairly short and quick and it comes from Latin meaning to run in. Uh, on the other hand, some of the other words around are much more ominous and as a result, uh, I think we've developed a completely new vocabulary to talk about those disagreeable things in euphemisms, which are ways of avoiding them. I think the last time that Australia officially signed up for a war was in 1939, and on the 1st of September, Hitler invaded Poland, and on the 3rd of September, Robert Menzies, who was our Prime Minister, uh, broadcast this message. Fellow Australians, it is my melancholy duty to inform you officially that, in consequence of the persistence by Germany in her invasion of Poland, Great Britain has declared war upon her and that, as a result, Australia is also at war. And notice we didn't ourselves declare war because we were part of the British Empire at that stage, but uh, we were kind of pulled in along behind the, uh, the, the British. And it's curious that after the Second World War, according to the UN Charter, War is actually outlawed, and there are only two instances in which you can use force. One is self-defense, and the other is a UN peacekeeping mission. And according to that, all of the other things which we've seen since are actually illegal, including uh, the Vietnam War, because nobody actually declared war anymore. And they, they just sort of undertook military operations. And when they did so, they... Uh, dressed it up in all sorts of words which have changed over time. Um, one lovely example I came across is that in the First World War, the soldiers came back with shell shock. In the Second World War, they came back with battle fatigue. It's getting longer and more complicated. And in the nowadays, they come back with post-traumatic stress disorder. So that, you know, we, we are thinking about these things in a different kind of way, less concrete, more going, if you like, roundabout, the, the back door, so that the, the other side, 
the people we don't like are subversive, they have rebellions and they do attacks and insurrections and uprisings and mutinies and riots and insurgences and incursions and civil disobedience and infiltrations and revolts. And if there's any guerrilla war around, it's going to be them, not our side. And they assassinate and butcher and slaughter people and sometimes exterminate and undertake murder and rape. That doesn't happen on our side. So the vocabulary of war has split into two bits, one of which is what the other lot do, and the other, other bit, which we haven't got to yet, is what we do. And uh, what we do is definitely far less in your face. It's quite interesting, isn't it, Rolly? Because for the better part of the last two years, we've been talking about being on a war footing in Australia. Uh, our leaders mm -hmm. have used that expression. Journalists have used that expression. It's been a commonly heard expression that we've been on a war footing. Of course, the enemy wasn't a state. It was a bug, uh, yes. the, the virus. Um, but we don't hear anyone talking about being on a war footing when a state is involved. And we've not heard that really in relation to Australia uh, and its support of uh, any interests in Russia or not. Um, so it's almost as if we talk about war whenever we're not talking about war. And when we are talking about mm -hmm. a real war, you'd never hear the term used. As you've said, and it's against the law. <laughs> that's right. And we don't like talking about killing if it's done by our side, uh, which is why it was so sh almost shocking when President Obama uh, broadcast about the bin Laden demise and he said we have killed bin laden and that was quite shocking because it was we and the verb to kill and uh, that that really stood out as something very important because um on at the same time ever since really vietnam and after um, there there have been all sorts of words like surgical strike for precision bombing. That doesn't say a lot for surgeons, does it? Um, friendly fire was when we happened to, sh to fire by accident on our lot or our troops. And um, the, you know, words like infiltrators was enemy troops moving into the battle area. Reinforcements was our troops moving into the battle area. Um, and then you had awful words like robust interrogation, which really means torture. Uh, but it was not something you didn't use that word. And in fact, Rumsfeld, when he was asked about it, said he didn't think that that was right. And he proceeded to talk about robust interrogation. Rolly, when you when you think about it, your view as a, as a linguist, as someone who mm. um, appreciates language, studies language, thinks about language and languages, um, I guess we're talking about words for war in the English language this afternoon. But do you feel this tendency to euphemism is a uh, motivated by an intention to soften a blow? Is it just a natural response to a complex topic? Or is it a little more sinister, a bit of smoke and mirrors, not calling a spade Ooh. a spade? Yeah, I think, I think it is more sinister because if the same vocabulary were used for people on both sides, then it would be a bit more even-handed. But in fact, this is a, a, a very clever bit of propaganda, um, management of public opinion, uh, to split the world into people like us who are good and justified and the people on the other side who are not. Um, 
And in, even even the use of the word force is now a little bit compromised, although we do have border force, which is our, the people who take care of our borders. Um, but uh, Desmond Tutu said, and you know, a very famous humanitarian, some two million children have died in dozens of wars during the last decades. This is more than three times the number of battlefield deaths of American soldiers in all their wars since 1776. Today, civilians account for more than 90% of war casualties. Civilians are 90% of war casualties. And these are the kinds of things that, I, that make me feel very uncomfortable because a lot of innocent folks are, are drawn willy-nilly into this thing and uh, very often either suffer uh, terrible injuries or are killed. And... And yet we are dressing up war and uh, conflict in ways which are, at, at, the, at the very least, somewhat compromised. You're on ABC Radio Brisbane and Queensland this afternoon. It's 25 minutes past two. My name is Kat Fenney and you are with Professor Rowling Sussex. He's having a word in your ear, focusing this afternoon on the language of war, on military jargon and the like. If you'd like to join the conversation, call one 300 Triple two six twelve. That's one three hundred. Triple two six twelve. Michael in Coolum. Uh, good afternoon. You've got a point to make about the spelling of the word war. What is it? Hello, Rolly. Um, my name is actually War W A R R, and so I've always been interested in the derivation of it. And I, I noticed in the Middle Ages, it was spelled W A. R-R-E, that's war and peace. So how did it come to be changed from W-A-R-R-E to W-A-R? All right. This is a bit like the word um, William with a W because it came from French Guillaume with a G. And there were a number of words from French which came over the channel in 1066 with uh, William the Conqueror. And they had a, a G in French, but they were rejigged in English with a W. And so Guillaume giving you William is one. And the word guerre, G-U-E-R-R-E, which is French, um, has given us, well, Old English, W-E-R-R-E, were. Okay, and then they gradually we lost the last e w e double r, and that I would guess is where your name was originally from because the double r's remained, but the vowel had already been changed into what we have nowadays. Oh. So it's it's quite a, you know several steps from French. Right, right. I thought that, and and at some stage, could you do a program on dialects in ah. in England and where, how they're derived? Oh, yes, by all means. Um, dialects are fascinating things because they are sometimes very different, even three miles down the road. I mean, I've been to places in England where, you know, you go across the river to another village and they say, oh, you've just been to so-and-so because you're using a certain word or a certain pronunciation. But dialects only arise when people stay in one place for a long time and marry people from that place and their children grow up speaking that variety of language. And gradually it becomes more and more different and more and more consistent within that area. Um, it happened in England, in fact, in most of Europe, until about 1800, most people didn't move more than about 20 miles from their birthplace during their entire lives. And so those were the conditions under which you get dialect and local folklore and that sort of thing. 
Australia in 1851 got the gold rush, and so we've been a, a country of people on the move ever since, which is why we don't really have dialects. But I'd, I'd love to do British dialects. We will get Rob, our producer, in um, to do some things from around his area, around Manchester. Um, and uh, I think if we can, my, my folks originally came from, from Somerset in the west of England. Uh, one, one bit of the family, the other lot came from Liverpool. And uh, that'll give us lots of opportunity for beautiful well we, kate we can we'll have to have a uh, a team of dialect speakers wonderful in the studio. oh that'd be great or you could get howard uh, howard if you're listening from wales and really make oh. it a show uh thank you very much michael we'll just keep moving lots of calls to address this afternoon on abc Hi. radio brisbane and queensland my name is kat feeney professor roly sussex is with you um roly is having a word in your ear this afternoon keen to talk with you about uh Military jargon, words of war, euphemisms uh, pertaining to uh, battles, conflicts, skirmishes, and so forth. Rick, uh, you're near emeralds. You've noticed a word that is used often. Uh, what is it? Hello. Yeah. Yes, good afternoon. Um, I've got de-escalate. It's a word that we don't mm. use in normal speak otherwise. But yes, yes. Uh, in terms of the military de-escalating... But if we're at the shops, we don't go down a de-escalator. <laughs> uh, unless it's broken, yeah. Okay, um, escalate means means to make something more, and it comes from the word scale and, and so on, meaning uh, going up or whatever. And to de-escalate is to do the reverse of it. It's now applied, you're right, mostly to situations where there is tension or the potential for violence. And so if you're going to de-escalate tension, you try and stop people getting to the point where they really do start shooting at each other. Um, well spotted, it's a fairly recent word. It's a, another euphemism. And I guess it's going to, we're going to have a lot of this. Certainly NATO and the Russians are talking from opposite points of view about this. And by the way, the Russians have their own version of all of this in Russian as well. Oh, you speak a little Russian, do you, Rolly? I do, yeah, but yeah. We, I haven't got the Russian data today, but I do have um, the, a phrase which I think is one of the most disgusting of the lot, which is ethnic cleansing. Oh, yeah, horrible. Uh, now, etnicko chishchenya, um, it, it originated in either Serbian or Croatian around about the early 1990s, uh, and it means to uh, remove people who aren't like you from an area uh, by whatever means you deem appropriate. And uh, so that that's a, a really very, uh, a very uh, uncomfortable word for me. Uh, thank you very much, Rick. Uh, thank you, Rolly. My name is Kat Feeney. You're on ABC Brisbane in Queensland. It's half past two. Uh, Matt is in Eagleby with an observation about something I think that I've wondered about too myself, Matt, the um, complexities around... Uh, being in the military, uh, describing yes. aspects of the military. It's all very confusing, isn't it? And often it's just in acronyms, which makes it even more complicated. Yes. Um, it's been a while since I've called. How are you going? Good, thank <laughs> you. It's lovely to hear from you, Matt. Thank you very much. Um, I'm wondering what the difference is between a battalion, a regiment, and a platoon. Yeah, good oh, one. Oh, goodness. Yes. Uh, all right. <laughs> I am not uh, a military person for this. I'll tell you what, Kat, we'll get Ross Eastgate in, um, who is a, a marvellous commentator on, on matters military. Um, a, a platoon, uh, it, it comes from, it's a relatively small, it's a subdivision of a company of soldiers, all right, so that it, platoon is much smaller than battalion. What was the other one? A platoon, a battalion, and a regiment, Rolly. Regiment, okay. Um, I'm not sure of the sizes of each 
and again i think we need a, a um, it's a permanent university uh, unit of the army and a, a regiment has several companies and a company has several platoons and how you get to the battalion i'm not quite sure it's even bigger it's a matter of size um, yeah yeah yeah, but there's, it's also possible that they won't be the same in the American military compared to our military, which tends to follow the Brits. And of course, there's all there's the business about lieutenant and lieutenant. Lieutenant, yeah. 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 Uh, lieutenant in the Navy and lieutenant in the Army and Air Force. Thank you very much, uh, Matt at Eagleby. Trevor in Pomona, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Cat and Riley. Um, it was me, I asked you last year about uh, Lieutenant and Lieutenant because my dad was a Second World War vet and he was most definitely from, from the Lieutenant camp. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, this one has worried, not worried me, one, one has made me wonder for a long time. I think yep. it will tell me it's from the French. How do we get Colonel out of Colonel? <laughs> All right. Yes. <laughs> um, there's a bit like Lieutenant, which was originally in French as Lieutenant, which means someone who is holding a place. Tenant is holding, lieu is a place. Colonel was colonel, and it's a French word. And as often happens when we borrowed from French, we kind of simplified it and left out some of the sounds. Okay. Exactly how we got from colonel to colonel, I need to look up for you. Uh, but that's definitely the derivation. And I think the word's been around since about the 15th, 16th century. Um, it's it's uh, means originally meant um, is from column a column of soldiers, uh, oh, and okay. that goes right that goes right back to Italian. Right. So we're talking about a word that's about five hundred years in English, and mm-hmm. uh, whose is pr- pronunciation is now very clearly not colonel but colonel. It is. Can I make mm. one other quick observation? Yeah. The word. Um, that has been stolen from the military, but now be used by many transport companies. Logistics, logistics. Oh, yeah. I understand right to providing troops at the front line with everything they needed, or the yeah. army with absolutely everything they needed to, to get them on the march and feed them and supply them. And now yeah. someone with one truck who supplies toothpaste to the chemist calls yes. themselves a logistics company. That's right. Yeah. In fact, the the companies that move stuff around the country, whatever, whether they're they're moving toothpaste or um, uh, no farm produce or machinery or whatever, they're all doing logistics. Um, originally, it's from French logistique. Uh, it's about nineteenth century, I think. And from originally, the word to, it comes from the word to lodge, meaning you know to uh, deposit something in a certain place. And so the logistics was the business by which you managed to get stuff and lodge them in another location. Um, and it's now, as you say, become applied to goods of any kind and any sort of size. It, whereas I believe it was military in origin. In its origin, yeah. Good one. Thank you, Trevor. Uh, 25 minutes to three. I'm Kat. Professor Rolly Sussex is with you having a word in your ear about terms relating to the military, wars, etc. Frank in Kabulcha. You've got the breakdown on army units for us. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. A battalion is normally around a thousand men. Yes. You're with us? I am indeed. Uh, I'm writing fast. <laughs> what was the other ones you wanted? Um, company and company. Company is normally about thirty men. Right, and a platoon. And a platoon. Drops down to 30 men too. How about a okay. regiment? A regiment? 
you'll you'll get bloody uh, thirty men again. Wow. I, I have you. There's a really interesting theory um, relating to the organisation of the uh, Roman army and uh, the number of people with which you can have an effective relationship. Rolly, have you heard of Dunbar's number? Oh gosh, yeah, I have somewhere, but I've forgotten. Tell, mm. tell us about it. So the idea that there are, you know, there's a potential to have a connection, a meaningful connection, with. A maximum of 150 people. Mm. Uh, this is based on the work of a gentleman by the name of Robin Dunbar. Uh, and he predicted the um, boundary to the number of personalised relationships you can have. And he came up with the number 150, which is quite interesting. That's the maximum number. And yeah. in uh, Rome, a Roman company was uh, 100 to 150 men. And there's much made of the relationship with Dunbar's number and a company in the Roman army and its effectiveness uh, because more than 150 might have made it a bit tricky to organise. <laughs> but that's, that's a theory. Um, that's very interesting. Frank, thank you. On ABC Brisbane and Queensland 25 to 2, Professor Rowley Sussex, it's almost time for your last word, but any closing reflections or remarks about the yes, language I mean, of war? Okay, phrases like extraordinary rendition... It sounds like someone singing a song in a very strange way. In fact, it meant taking terrorists and sending them to countries which did do tor uh, ta torture so that you could extract information from them. That, that's not nice, you know. And, and uh, covering up something awful with a word like that. The word liberation, depending on who's doing it, we liberate other people, but they occupy us. All right. Uh, it's, again, one of these things which, depending on which side you're looking at it from. Um, shock and awe is the American version of Blitzkrieg. Uh, the German one, Blitzkrieg, meant a lightning war and was a, a World War II thing. And um, there's that awful word waterboarding, which was a type of torture. So I, I think in war, uh, war terminology, we've actually gone a long way. Body bags have now become transfer tubes. Um, this this attention to euphemisms and ducking away from calling a spade a spade makes me a little bit worried because after a while you start believing the words and forget what's actually behind them. Indeed. Uh, Sean, from nowhere in particular, but at the moment in Melbourne, writes <laughs> that euphemism has captured our worlds, not just in warfare. He thinks it's very weasley and sickening. Sean, thank you. Professor, your last yeah. word, please. This is from Mignon McLaughlin, whom I don't know, but is something very good to say. A successful marriage requires falling in love many times, always with the same person. <laughs> <laughs> Rolly, it's been a pleasure and a privilege as ever. Thank you so very much Thank for you, your time. Kat. On your radio and online. At home or on the road. This is ABC Radio.